0: Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Kevin Jones. Kevin is the CEO and founder of Blue Wire and it is so cool. He has created a podcast network with much more to come but currently it sits in phase one or two. I can't remember. You'll hear it in the episode of The Plan. He has amassed over ninety different regional podcasts to help become part of his network so that way they are then able to sell to sponsors and partners even more it's so cool but kevin's story is incredible how much time he's spent being a sports journalist and how much he loves it and now he is running a media company which is super darn cool so without further ado here is kevin jones yes. Right. Today, special guest. I have Kevin Jones, the CEO and founder of Blue Wire Sports Podcasting. Previous stops at Facebook, KMBR, Cleveland Brown, CBS. Kevin, how you doing today, man?
1: Michael, what's good, man? Thanks for having me. Excited to break
0: everything down. It's a beautiful day to be alive. Can't, be, can't, can't complain. We're here now. We're, uh, we're going to enjoy it. We'll probably be hanging out for 45 minutes, maybe 50 if we're having a really good time. Uh, but the first question I have for everybody, Kevin, on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much?
1: I think – I grew up in D.C., first of all, so you're surrounded by politics there. Sports draws out emotion more than anything else, I feel like, in life. There's, the, there's not just wins and losses. There's a free agent leaving your team. There's heartbreak or you get a new free agent. Or, you know, in college there's recruits. Uh, you know, you try and get a good recruit. And it's, there's a thrill and excitement to sports, and there's varying levels of, of dynamics at play, not just wins and losses. That's what excites me about sports. It's people, it's characters, it's real stories.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. The, the uh, fan is short for fanatic, right? Um, you know, that's that's what we get crazy about, as you said, with politics. I mean, politics, religion, and sports. Those are the three things that I think people get the craziest about um, for good or for bad. And I think sports is the most enjoyable to get crazy about them and the community aspect. And as you said, the stories and everything. So I think I, I like that.
1: You can escape in sports and, and um, still get a thrill with it. Politics. So I minored in political science and I thought about a career there, but it it feels like it's not an escape that it's, it is more evil than good. And that's, that's the reality of with sports there. Of course, there's evil for sure. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, like both sides typically can shake hands and move on.
0: That, and I mean, it's also sports, you know, we're playing a child's game. Like, like, yes, there's some bad people doing some bad things, but to the level and to the extent are, are a little bit different. Um, so was the goal for you always to work in sports and, and, you know, specifically sports media?
1: I'd say so. I used to be scared of numbers. Numbers used to terrify me. I was always good at writing. And I grew up in D.C., as i said, so I used to watch Michael uh, Michael Wilbon, Tony Kordheiser, before they were on PTI, they were on a show called uh, Redskins Report. I grew up reading the Washington Post, and I I remember asking my parents, people do this. This is their job. Like, they don't go to work and then do this at night, right? I remember being like a seven-year-old kid saying, wait, people actually do this as their job. So I was I was fixated early. A lot of people don't have their epiphany of what they're going to be when they grow up, um, you know, for a while. But I, I truly knew I was going to be sports and media. I had no idea I was going to start a company or become an entrepreneur or touching those facets of it. But I, I really enjoyed being a, a reporter, a sports reporter the first eight years of my career. I, I lived out my daydream as a kid.
0: That's awesome, man. That, yeah, that is pretty cool. I mean, at seven years old having that epiphany, I mean, it takes most people until they're like 55 to realize what they want to do for the rest of their life.
1: I was a weird kid. I was watching like VHS tapes of the masters instead of Barney, like something was something, some wires, like, crossed in my head i'm
0: pretty sure Nah, <laughs> shout out to your parents for that one man they did the right thing they did the right thing it's just as soothing it's just as calming you learn just as much from gym dance as i'm sure you've learned from barney so what's the difference right
1: <laughs> yeah good point
0: uh, good stuff man so as you said you know the first eight years of your career you were in the sports reporting business for lack of a better term i mean cbs there was cleveland browns kmbr san francisco sports radio uh, let's start with cbs i always like to know how people broke in um No, So I think that's very important. And people always ask me, you know, how do you break into sports? How do you break into sports? And that's why I like talking to people like you, because then we can give them a lot of different options and a lot of different opportunities. So what was it like uh, trying to break into sports and trying to really get that machine rolling, for lack of a better term?
1: Yeah, it was tough. So I graduated from East Carolina University in in May of 2011. So what, nine years ago, just about nine years ago. Uh, the economy was just starting to recover from the 08 recession, but the jobs were still a little difficult to come by. I had a college radio show at ECU. It was called bold sports doc. It did you know, well for a college radio show. We had athletes and known personalities on the podcast. Shout out to Zach Lowe. He's now a huge ESPN writer. Wow, he was nice. Super, he was small time then too. And we, we had Mike Silver, um, who's at the NFL network. So we were, people were showing us respect uh, i had a co-host at the time his name is Nabil but yeah so i left college kind of like thinking i was going to get a role and i i did it for a while um graduated in may got a job finally at CBS in november i linked in and applied i think totally like 230 different random media jobs all over the country definitely got told no um, you know i was applying for not entry level stuff i was i thought i was a radio host and that's kind of the hard thing when you're 22 coming out of college is like you think you're more overqualified than, than you really are. You've got to go learn some things. If you come out of a small school, like I did, where you did a lot, you're like, wait a second, I should be getting jobs. Like I'm 25, 26, but you do have to earn those stripes. So I got into CBS. I started as a high school sports producer editing Friday and Saturday nights. Um, You know, coaches would call in the score and some of the stats we would make sure those got up. We would, um, you know, that was my start. It was unglamorous. I'm lucky that D.C. has a great high school football scene. Uh, remember the Titans? That movie is based off Northern Virginia. There's a good scene there. D.C. is historically black schools, very great athletes. And then Maryland also has some, some solid um, you know, uh, players who end up going mm-hmm. and play college. So, yeah, I, you know, I turned that into a foot in the door. And then it was also RG3's rookie year, Bryce Harper's rookie year. So there was a lot going on in D.C. where I was living at the time. I started writing articles for the website in my spare time for, for CBS. So this is local CBS sports station. And I, I just started tweeting and writing articles about the Redskins and Nats because fans were interested in them. And, you know, my bosses started catching notice of what I was doing and they were like, he's a little more valuable than editing the high school stuff. I took my own initiative to kind of show them that like my job description didn't say go write rg3 articles Mm -hmm. go go create content content was still kind of weird then it was 2011 it was kind of like video or written like social was still like it was there but it wasn't what it is today and so i i tried to be ahead of the game i tried to get twitter followers i ended up doing that and you know i i left that job after two years i had been on tv a couple times i had broken news once i had like a couple thousand twitter followers so i i turned a foot into the door into something for sure
0: that is awesome, man. And, and so before you were able to actually land that position, you said there was a couple months from May to November-ish. What were you doing during that time to make sure that you were still moving forward and not just standing still and just applying to these jobs and just constantly getting that no, no, no?
1: Yeah, th- that's the tough part because you would start applying for jobs and in the middle of the application, have you were like, I'm not getting this. I know I'm not getting yeah. this and you have to fight that feeling um i was depressed no lie i remember like binge watching the sopranos at the time right after graduating
0: damn uh, well, at least it's a good and, show like you know. yeah
1: yeah no, <laughs> i but i was like the anger of the show and the anger oh, of me yeah. not having a job like just moving back home with my mom i'm sure she's gonna listen to this and be like oh i remember those times that was tough yeah so i you have to stay positive and know like i see the sign right behind you it, it only takes one yes for success it's, it, it, it's, it's true. My yes for success would happen to be on LinkedIn. I, I, LinkedIn has is where I also found my seed investor to my company. I, I try to be very strategic and not bother people with, and, and DM them there right away after I LinkedIn. I try and like one of their posts first. You know, it took a long time to figure out LinkedIn about how to do it correctly, but I, you know, I, I got lucky with CBS. LinkedIn was my in, um, and it took a, at least 200 no's to get there.
0: And that's what it takes, man. I mean, all it takes is that one thankfully, and they they hit on you, right? Like they hit on you. They they picked the right draft stock, which I think is incredible. And, you know, as you said, while you were there, one thing that comes with sports media is while me and my friends are on the couch watching the game, that means you in sports media have to be working. uh, because you work when the games are played, right? So I've always loved asking people, especially in the media, like how did you cope with that aspect of it with understanding all right like now the thing that i love the most is watching games now i don't really get to watch the games anymore now i have to work during the games and be on all the time how did you kind of cope with that aspect of it especially right out of college
1: oh it's tough it it's fun when you're 23 24 just getting started it gets tougher i'm 31 now as you as you progress but you're kind of wide-eyed bushy tailed when you get in and you, and you want to kind of be a part of the scene and, and rub elbows with everyone for sure. But it's, the adjustment is kind of um, learning who your audience is and how you watch the lens of a game. And now it's not just you and your brother or your buddy on the couch. It is like, I'm trying to de- develop an audience. I don't want to say the same things everyone else is saying. How do I carve a little bit of a different lane? How do I focus my tweets on a little something different? You know, now I would encourage young sports journalists to, Get into all different types of platforms and not just become a writer or just become a podcaster you, you really need to do it all um yeah it, it was it's challenging I grew up a Redskins fan so it was covering my hometown teams I had to criticize them too publicly and know the players and coaches sometimes get upset about that PR folks so that was the the hard balance for me you know coming in and, and kind of like I do want to be critical I want my voice and opinion heard and how to kind of there's a lot of forces there you, you've you got to be different but you don't want to piss people off you got to pay attention to everything you got it yeah so I I think I've developed a different voice over time at least at my Twitter feed and um, you know for sharp analysis you know uh, it became NFL over time but when I first got it started it was it was on the NFL NBA and MLB
0: very cool very cool and yeah definitely wanting to it's nice to be general, but it's also, as you said, it's nice to kind of niche down and be specific about it. So it sounds like you went with the NFL and the next position is, uh, you know, working with the Cleveland Browns. Um, so how's that for a segue for you, Kevin? What, um, what was your time like with, uh, with the Browns?
1: Oh man, chaotic as all get out, but probably the best working experience I've ever had. So I arrived the same month as Johnny Manziel there. So my career oh my has been goodness.
0: very lucky. So, so wait, yeah, let's, Let's stop there for a second. So your first year with CBS was RG3 and Bryce Harper. Your first year with the Browns was Johnny Manziel in that fiasco. I am so excited to hear what happens when you get to San Francisco, man.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, because it's Colin Kaepernick then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've, I've, I've gotten lucky being around kind of some perennial losing teams like the Browns and Redskins, but at a time when they were exciting. So I – I worked for the Cleveland Browns, which was much different than the TV station I came from and the radio station I went to afterwards. I'm a, so I was essentially a marketing employee. Uh, but I wrote for clevelandbrowns.com. I was on ESPN, a 50. You can't say anything negative about the team. You, you become the voice, you know, the voice box mm-hmm. of the team a little bit. And there was a couple of people about me, Nathan Zagura, Vic Carucci that I learned from who, who are pros, but it's interesting. The NFL and, and all these teams now have media arms, but it is, it's it's to put a positive spin on all things Browns and it so it was amazing I flew on the team plane I I sat in meeting rooms I ate lunch in the cafeteria with the players Dante Whitner is a close friend of mine Paul Kruger I went to his wedding in Utah you actually you become a part of the team it's weird like the training staff like there's only a few people who fly besides the players and the coaches it's like training staff and Um, you know, the food crew and like things like that. But then, you know, some of the marketing employees and I I flew on the team plane. The Browns did go seven and nine that year. They started seven and four. So there was a lot of excitement. I was there a year after they they did um, pretty bad, but it was, it really informed my thinking on when I started my company just about how teams go about doing things. I, how PR people try and kill a story, like being a part of that process. My whole company, and now you know we're about to work with an NHL team and sign a big contract with them. you know I leaned on my uh, experience with the Browns that came in valuable years later of, of just some other deals I'm now doing so overall it was it was crazy chaotic. I did end up getting fired. there's lots of people who end up getting fired in the NFL, especially that building i my bridges got. <laughs> My britches got too big, and like uh, I, I started creating content that was getting a lot of traction, and I thought I was irreplaceable. And essentially, I got mouthy with my boss, as did a lot of others, and he kind of cleaned house there. He, he, he changed the whole direction, and he, he told me something when he fired me. He was like, "You don't fit the the, the tone of the Browns and where we want to go." And at first, I was so bitter, but it became so true to me a few weeks after I left, and like obviously months and years later that. Like I wasn't meant to be a marketing employee for this NFL team. And like my, my growth goals, even going back and looking at them, didn't even align with, with the opportunity. But two years in Cleveland, I got out of my hometown and kind of really like I learned a lot. I left, I left being fired, kind of like upset and not knowing what to do next. Though.
0: What, um, while you were there, how frustrating was it to not be able to like only, as you said, like you're a writer, you're a reporter, you're a journalist but you're really not in that role. You're much more of a marketing person. How frustrating was that aspect of the job, especially in well, Cleveland?
1: There was a lot of give-pull about Johnny. They didn't want him to, uh, like us to cover him on clevelandbrowns.com because there was so much negative attention about him elsewhere. He wasn't the starting quarterback his first year there. And so it felt like we got a Christmas present under the tree that we couldn't unwrap. So there was oh. a lot of tension internally of just like, yeah, like I – I was coming from being a journalist and yeah, I didn't fully grasp that. I'm truly like a part of the marketing department. I, my Twitter feed became all Browns and like positivity and I found a way to get fans excited. I definitely, I think did a good job. Um, You know, they, we were 29th with the Browns when I got there in terms of NFL team website ranking for clicks. I left, we were 13th and I was our only writer. So I, Wow. i i i wrote like feature style stories like esp in the magazine like i would like go out to lunch with dante and get really deep with him and write a story or i would do like an x's and o <laughs> breakdown and be like i talked to this coach site i found a way to make my content different there but it was like my one hand was tied behind my back essentially the real journalist could cover the team really and i could mm-hmm. anytime there was a negative story i couldn't tweet about it or couldn't acknowledge it really like i could only acknowledge the good things about the Browns, which unfortunately for them at most times is, is very, very little things. I'll tell you one crazy quick story while I was there. They used to uh, put all the Twitter feeds on the on the, the wall. They had this wall where like the beat reporters, the players, and they also had like a hashtag, hashtag dog pound. Um, one time they had a bunch of important corporate partners in the building and hashtag dog pound was up on the wall. Some porn group took over that, that mm. um that hashtag and and there were there were some pornographic images scattered across the wall so there's you see a lot of crazy things when you're in an org and I'm sure there'll be one day like a tell-all book about the Cleveland Browns like 99 to 2020 like the 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 biggest stories ever Uh, someone's gonna write that book and it's, it's a building that's unlike any else for sure
0: I hope you have some of those stories in your back pocket so you can be a part of that book, Kevin, but I won't ask you about any of them. You don't have to, we, we're, we're talking about you. We're not talking about the Browns. It's, it's the <laughs> Browns, let's be honest. So after you get fired from there, um, as you said, you didn't really know where you were going to go. Thankfully you did find a job uh, with the radio station on San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken. What was your, how, how did that come about again? Understanding now, now your resume, I mean, it looks better, but it's never cool to have fired on. I mean, you don't put fired on it, but if they're going to yeah. look back and call, they're going to say... Well, no, I, I had to try me. and hide that. Yeah, yeah, I had to try, which I did. You
1: know, I, I was embarrassed about it and like luckily managed to get a, like a part-time job at this place called Pro Football Focus right after. And uh, it, it, it made it seem like I left the Browns because they were chaotic and not that I got fired. It took a long time to come to grips with that, but... I, I kind of use my existing network. I mentioned like Mike Silver's Remember, I met him in college, mm-hmm. my radio show, all of a sudden he knows people in San Francisco. There's a job opening. And what do you know? And I get on the phone, knock out a couple interviews, you know, fly out there. Um, the, the job opening was great. KMBR 680 AM, uh, if you're ever in San Francisco, KMBR.com. I ran the whole website. So I came in with a content strategy. How are we going to make this radio station website? Good. If you've ever been to a radio station website, they're awful. They're most of them are just they're filled with ads and random links that are like, like a year old, 10 years old, like just random crap. We really tried to like overhaul what they did um, by taking like quick aggregated blogs and like with the Warriors, 49ers and um, San Francisco Giants. We cut out all the noise of Stanford and some of the other stuff and just said, we're going to focus on these three core teams and like all the news surrounding them it was awesome I got to be opinionated again I got to be a journalist I was on scene for Warriors and Steph Curry I was on scene for Colin Kaepernick and the kneel down so I saw again a lot of like really cool things and I my my path as a journalist I've gotten super lucky there it was cool I was in charge of a small team we have like five people now so all of a sudden I've been a manager I've like lost I my show like I can tell people what to do they'll they'll listen to me now I never had that opportunity in previous jobs Um, at the end of the day the resources there just kept being so tiny they were never going to let me travel with the 49ers or Warriors so I didn't feel like a true journalist I didn't want to become a digital content manager Mm -hmm. I I, like that to me wasn't exciting being on the scene and like uh, coming up with new stories and creating content was more exciting than managing the whole department I was working 16 hour days it was tough covering both of those teams I started calling into the radio like I was doing too much and just being so undervalued you know less than $50,000 a year um so you know I really San Francisco you were making less wow good for you man so I yeah I mean you know you 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 make it work of course you 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 rely on some family for help for sure if you're riding out a dream sometimes which I did here at a certain point it was absurd it was like this job is, is worth a hundred K. And so we, I walked away. I had to, right before the 49ers football season, it was getting to be um, too much, too much. And there was no path for my growth. And it basically, I basically broke up with the media industry. I thought I was going to go land. I talked to SB Nation. I talked to the Brooklyn Nets. I could have restarted and done it all over somewhere else again and, and grown a little bit. I was tired of running into the same thing, whether it was the Browns or KNBR where I was not in control. I was not in control of my own destiny, and I, I took, like, six months off. I mean, like, I valeted cars and did some random shit for sure. I did some consulting, and then I took a job at Facebook as I was still thinking about launching a startup, but I, I wanted to, like, kind of go work at Facebook, get out of sports media, and go there. So, something up KMBR in San Francisco, great, great opportunity to manage a team. Again, like, sports media was awesome. Just, I felt undervalued.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, you have to do what you have to do 50,000 to a lot of people around the country is a lot. But if you know anything about San Francisco, you know, hopefully you can cover your rent on 50k here, right? Like that's, that's pretty important. And as you said, you know, if you feel undervalued, if they're not willing to go, if you're, if you're taking less money, and they're still not willing to go the extra mile to at least send you to some of these places, as you said, you didn't want to be a digital content manager you know, that's kind of, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And you took the high road and said, Hey, like, this is not what I want to do. And as you even said, you kind of broke up with the sports media industry while you were broken up um, and at Facebook, were you still creating, were you still writing articles? Were you still doing anything just to kind of, you know, as much as you broke up with it, you're never really going to leave. So how much were you still doing on the side, I guess?
1: Yeah, I should rephrase that. I broke up with traditional sports media. Uh, What
0: I, yeah, what I discovered and like my big
1: epiphany from KNBR and the whole experience of working in radio is that young sports fans care more about someone's Twitter feed, you know, or their social feeds than, these old radio hosts um they're the people who focus on creating content on twitter and youtube and snapchat are actually to me the, the people that were making the most noise there were you know i was next to writers from the san francisco Car- chronicle and radio hosts who i had known for years um even in different markets like wow i work with these guys and they're they to me sports fans don't care about them anymore at least the young ones that i'm trying to reach like so the It feels like the legacy sports media game from the time I started in 2011 to now 2017, 2018, a few years back, it just – it changed so much, and, like, my goals changed. So I continued to tweet, and I continued to podcast about the 49ers. I left the industry, but to me, like, the Warriors was crowded. They were covered really well. The 49ers, in my opinion, were not covered that well. My my commentary was different, and fans kept following me and listening to me after I left KMBR – they didn't care that i wasn't there every day they still wanted to hear what i had to say all of a sudden next season rolls around i'm watching on my couch and i'm you know creating tweets that are getting 85 retweets you know 400 favorites stuff that you know, people on scene aren't even doing because they're so focused on their article what fans aren't even reading anymore mm-hmm. so i i entered a new lane of just engaging with sports fans and the monetization wasn't there for sure at the start like it was i was doing it for fun. I was doing the Twitter and the podcasting because I saw there was a future. I, it was for fun. I was working at Facebook. Now, you know, finally making what I thought I was worth. Uh, and then, you know, a light bulb click for me that, listen, I'm not the only one doing this. There's so many other people tweeting and Snapchatting sports that have somewhat of an audience that don't have a team. They're not on a team. And so that's how Blue Wire, eventually, my startup was founded. I, you know, was founded while I started working at Facebook. And I I took it off the ground from there by compiling a huge list of of social media people and sports who I aligned with. I started hitting them up just like it was a job search. It was LinkedIn all over again. And that like, Hey, here's what I'm doing. You have interest here. Oh, I see you have an existing podcast. I see you have existing 10,000 followers. Would you like to join my team? And you know, overnight, man, we went from, you know, we added a podcast a week or two and like that over 18 months equaled 90 podcasts and a seed round and the whole nine. So it, it, it moved slow and fast at the same time, but yeah, no good question. I stayed, I stayed the course and I did new traditional sports media and it led me from KBR now to
0: to blue wire. Look at that, man. And while you were at Facebook, I'm sure you met some cool people. You did some cool things, but you know, you don't have to go too deep into that. I, The Facebook group now, I think it's called, as we all watched in the Michael Jordan documentary last night.
1: Yeah, they they were sponsoring there. So, I mean, I learned things about scaling there. I learned about, like, organizational design. I worked on some cross-functional teams there. And now how we're setting up Blue Wire. we have six full-timers now. You know, we have cross-functional teams, how I learned from Facebook. And just, like, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot there. So, I was a content strategist on the Advertising Help Center. So, where brands and media people would come to learn how to advertise for the first time we would help those brands just like walk through here's how to make an ad on facebook um we don't use that facebook ads at blue wire but i know a lot about them like Mm -hmm. when we're at the size where it's worth using them we definitely are going to use them um that was the next
0: question yeah do you have how how much do you utilize them but that makes sense
1: yeah um lot of smart people there and like there's a lot of negative news about facebook all the time and they're like protocols and just like how they treat things i will say like they they treat employees really well and the people who work there are genuinely really really good people so i i enjoyed my experience being there um in 2018
0: Yeah, and I'm sure again, you know, meeting the people in that area, meeting the people in you know Silicon Valley, uh, that did not hurt, right? And so now you you've been able to network with people inside what you call traditional sports media. Um, You've been able to network with inside people with tech for a little while, Um, you know, let's call it tech or whatever, and and the new you know, media, the Facebooks. And now, as you even called it before, the new traditional media, I think is what you called podcasting, which is kind of cool. Um, and so I guess, you know, you, you kind of explained it a little bit, but like what what exactly is Blue Wire and what do you guys do?
1: Totally. So we are a sports podcasting platform. What does platform mean? Uh, you know, we're not trying to be Facebook or, or Amazon, you know, we're not trying to be that kind of platform, but, you know, a platform for creators to come and A, monetize, B, get production and marketing support from us. And then see. as I said, j- just be a part of a team. There's a lot of independent people out there. There's also a lot of our, our creators. A lot of them have you know, full-time nine-to-five jobs and they've, they've become commentators on the side. So we're, we're home for those people. We're home for athletes who don't want to be Barstool or ESPN. They're, they're looking to maybe get there one day. They can get started with us. We can teach them tricks of the trade. We do have some corporate partnerships as well. Whistle is a is a sports brand, a YouTube brand that we work with. The Las Vegas Review Journal, a newspaper in, you know, obviously Vegas, we we have partnerships with them. And we have the writers from the Sacramento Bee and the Boston Globe. So we we're we're a grab bag, we're a grab bag of of sports podcasting right now. That's phase one. Phase two is for us to build out original documentary narrative content as you saw with the michael jordan documentary last night we we are going to be releasing a ken griffey jr one relatively yeah. soon you know we're we see you know michael jordan has hit this on the head with espn they're they're not reinvesting the wheel but sport, you know they invented a category honestly with 30 for 30 and we feel like no one else has entered the, the the lane with them so we at least want to do it from a podcasting standpoint we're going to build out stories on the history of eaiu of, um, you know, uh, of Kobe, of, of people, uh, Alan Iverson, people we admire. And, you know, we think those are gonna be stories people can listen to on the plane or bingeable types of things that they're really gonna like. And so that's what we're gonna build on top of what Blue Wire currently is. And though, you know, um, eventually, man, I, I see us becoming having some tech and having an academy, of platform, but, you know, the three, the three uh, wheels right now for us are our, our podcasting network. Partnerships we do in the originals that we're going to put out, and so that's how we that's how we pitch to investors. We have, we're a three-legged stool right now, and, and our investors seem to like it.
0: That's awesome, man! And yeah, that, yeah. What um what made me realize what you guys were doing? Uh, I had Jack settlement on. I know he he works with you guys at Snapback, um, and he's also at Whistle. So it's kind of funny how all that all that comes together at some point. So uh, I I mean I had him on the show. He's absolutely fantastic. What he's been able to build and how he's been able to build is so awesome. I mean he's interviewing Mark Cuban in like two days, which is nuts. And I just, you know, kudos to him for what he's been able to do. And um, then I saw him put something up about how you guys got your seed round. And uh, that, that's kind of what made me notice you guys on LinkedIn. And I just thought it was really cool. So I wanted to have you on just to kind of talk about, you know, how that process has gone. So it's only been, let's call it less than two years, I'm assuming you're at Facebook in 2018. So it's been 18 months, 19, 20 months, 18,
1: something like that. 18 months, launch Blue Wire in the fall of 2018, debut with like four podcasts. And you know, as I said, kind of went from there. Our first big break was getting into 500 Startups, the Seed Round Accelerator. I live in San Francisco because of my media work, so that definitely helped us just being like in, in the scene here. But 500 Startups was May of 2019, so less than a year ago.
0: Yeah.
1: And it, so they put in an initial 150K and it's a four-month accelerator program from May until September culminates with a demo day on stage where you pitch in front of a thousand investors, um, you know, back in the days where we could all be in person together in large rooms like that. Um, yeah, so it's, that put us on the map. Definitely. That was the first one. Then we built the whistle partnership from that article. We got a lot of traction. We've been turning one partnership into the next. So it was 500 startups whistle, you know, they pay us just under six figures to produce podcasts for them. And then, um, we turned that into dot capital so it's crazy dot capital i've been fundraising not the true fundraising where you go and take uh, 200 investor meetings and, and take a lot of no's i would kind of been just like hitting up certain people through 500 i was gonna i was gonna take the 150k and make it last a long time i didn't have any full timers the first year of the company i didn't hire my first full-timer till october of 2019 I got by with a, like a ragtag crew of freelancers who, who were pitching in when they could. Most of them had full-time jobs. So with some production, some designer help. 500 Startups saw my sports connection. I told them the same exact story. I told them what Blue Eye was going to be before it was with, with the partnerships and the originals. We just had a podcast network, but I, they believed the hype kind of. of I'm a change, change agent. That's, that's how I position myself. I'm coming from the industry and I want to I change it. I want to change how sports media is perceived. I want to change the way talent flows to and from different properties and like what's, can, what's perceived as talent. It's not someone who went to Northwestern anymore to me or Syracuse. It's someone who, has, who built a Snapchat when they were 16, like Jack, and just kept moving and built the audience over time. So we're trying to change the value of things. Dot Capital reached out on LinkedIn, and that was November of 2019. And we were raising a $1.5 million round and ended up being 1.2. And they, it took several calls. It took me flying up to New York where they're based and getting steak dinners. But, you know, January came around and they, they wired us $800,000. So um, from there, we've been cooking. We've, we've hired a VP of marketing, a VP of biz dev, a head of operations, um, a VP of content. So it's um, I believe my team more than anything, and they're pulling the levers now, and I'm I'm kind of coaching them. But we're, you know, looking to raise the Series A next year, looking to have 15 to 20 employees, build out video components to everything as well, and yeah, man, it's it's unbelievable. I I can't believe it. I I started the company with you know a few thousand bucks of my own money, and now it's 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 on its way to be you know worth um, you know in, in the eight figures here. So that is it's, awesome, dude. i i never thought i would ever start a company i remember us talking at the beginning of this pod of just i was going to be a writer i was going to hopefully be tony Kornizer or someone like that i was going to be a columnist at a paper and i i said you know what i'm tired of not having control and i'm going to try and take control Uh,
0: i love it dude again i think like what you guys are doing and the people that you have on as you said you know about what 90 podcasts you guys have on their uh the network already and the opportunity for all of them i also know uh nick caden he's a very good friend of mine so he's i know he's on on blue wire as well so i just think it's really cool how you guys have been able to do this and and i know you said you talked about it a little bit but i'm kind of curious like diving into that network of people that you've made from you literally across the country from cbs and in washington to then to cleveland and then all going on to san francisco how much how many of those people have you either called back on to ask directly to be on the show or even say hey this is what I'm doing. Who else do you know that fits the bill?
1: Oh yeah, less guest and content, and more you know, building out my sales pipelines now through these connections who are now at Reebok or Applebee's, like brand marketing director. You know, um, my path, although turbulent, because I went so many stops locally, I feel like I have roots different places: Cleveland, DC, and now definitely San Francisco we were eyeing a move to New York city before all this happened. We still probably will or move to LA and now I'll have my San Francisco roots. To me, it it is a advantage if you can do it correctly and move around if you're younger and listening to this podcast, looking to get your career off the ground. I think the people who do move around um, and play their cards correctly, will have bigger networks in here. You're just, you're exposed to so many more people. Mm -hmm. There's only so much LinkedIn can do. You've got to make the physical in-person connections. Those are the strongest ones for sure. But I mean, uh, yeah I thousands of people are in my network for sure It's hard to keep track of it all but it's it's in a pipeline now. I went through LinkedIn one day and kind of picked out my my best ones and put them in categories and now I can kind of open up my my day and kind of look at my network and that's i've turned <laughs> I've turned Blue Wire network from my own network and it's yeah it's it's cool I've had myself on the back sometimes man, but it's we have a long way to go for sure we oh, we absolutely yeah, we, yeah <laughs> it's we when you get a seed round, it feels like you get drafted. It honestly feels like you're a first-round pick or second-round pick. It's like, okay, you walked across the stage, and now you're you're a nobody again. You've got to take the seed round and kind of deploy it, and that's what we're doing right now.
0: That is so cool, man. Great analogy. I really do like that. And and with that, you know, let's let's talk about podcasts themselves i mean we know joe rogan's been around for 10 years we know you know my girlfriend loves the the my favorite murder but the sports podcast area i mean you have so many different ones you have espn with all of theirs you have the nfl network give i mean i don't know what mlb is doing but they always do everything wrong so i'm assuming they don't have anything uh, you know how how have you gone about and i guess why do you believe as you said the new traditional media for sports and, and for people to uh, consume that information why do you believe that it's going to be through podcast form
1: yeah, so we look at Spotify, and we also look at you know, their acquisition of The Ringer. We look at what Gimlet did, Spotify's acquisition there. We're, we're more that company than we are a radio station or, or anything else. And I, sports is always going to be so competitive. Um, it, it tells you. So Bleacher Report doesn't do much in podcasting because it, it, it's low monetization at first. Uh, ESPN is not going to build a local podcast or influencer network like I, I have because they have like billions tied up in TV contracts. And this is kind of a, it's, it's a million dollar game for some of the bigger players, which is to our advantage, uh, because they, they view it as such a low priority. It would, for ESPN to do what I've done with put together 90 influencers, those influencers probably are, are not going to work for ESPN unless it's at a bigger cost or, all the bureaucracy they have in the voices, they can't move as quickly. Mm-hmm. So we, we've carved out a nimble lane for ourselves. For us, it's, it's the storytelling is, is what I think Blue Wire is going to be known for a few years from now. Is like what I'm saying about the Kobe and the Allen Iversons. Like I think our storytelling hopefully will become on par with 30 for 30, and like globally fans will will discover us that way and then see all the regional content we have. We want the network to become. was the first thing i built what we wanted to become i don't think the lead star of the show to be honest we 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 want the the broad appeal content it's how like vanilla sports fans discover you and they're like oh yeah i also like the cincinnati reds why don't i check out that podcast too Mm -hmm. uh the other way around is is is, can be done as well and um yeah man it's, it's it's a circle of content but we to answer your question, you know we view ourselves as as like an audio first company. That's that's not really comparable to many of the other platforms, just because we we focus solely on podcasting and we provide solutions for smaller creators that the bigger folks don't.
0: I love that, and it, I, you're totally right. Like ESPN is not going to go out and try and find an influencer in San Francisco and then an influencer in Cincinnati to try and build this network. That while at ninety podcasts you know, again, looking at it from a monetization standpoint, someone like yourself, you know, this one over here might only get a couple thousand downloads. That one might be a little bit bigger. And, you know, then you have Jack Settlement. I don't know. He's like, he's up and down the charts all the time, you know, so that's always nice. And I'm assuming what you then do is you just aggregate all of that together. And that's how you can go out and find those partnerships by saying, Hey, we're not one, two, three podcasts that gets 10,000 downloads a month. We are 90 podcasts in all these specific areas you can target specifically where you're looking and how you want to do it and this is you know i'm assuming and i saw i'm sorry for answering my own question but tell me a little bit more about how you've been able to create these partnerships especially with that regional aspect of it
1: yeah so some of our brand partners are harry's razors indochino suits um untuck it the button down shirts ethos life insurance wgn but you like you said you you answered your own question in a sense that we no, no, I do it all the time too. It's, it's we. This is our advantage, exactly. So I mean, ESPN could look to do this one day for sure. I don't want to say that they 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 won't, but it's um yeah, it's we, we're we're playing with with influencers who we can monetize um you know part time and like you said, putting together these packages are are important and and the brands like Harry's likes that they can. They buy the whole package. They like that they can be in 45 different markets and like they get that our voice is cooler and younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a whole brand ethos type of thing. Blue Wire is kind of like a label. Most people know Jack, most people don't know us, but like on the business side, most people are starting to get to know Blue Wire as this whole bundle of influencer sports content.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's really cool how, again, as you said, with ESPN, if you wanna be on baseball tonight, it's probably gonna cost you a lot more money. It's gonna be national. It's not gonna be as hyper-specific, but if brands want to, they can. And Buster only, he he asks questions and then answers them all the time. So that's always something that I try not to do. So I apologize <laughs> for doing that one for you. And um, so do you still get to podcast or are you a little too busy now running a company?
1: A little too busy now, but I mean this whole thing was found is it's so crazy on my 49ers podcast, which you know was done on my iPhone you know in a, in a closet somewhere at the start of this whole thing i have added hosts to my feed my 49ers feed they're like the, the main host now but i i need to be creating content for sure i think part of the reason we were able to scale quickly is because i am a creator i was able to get 90 podcasters because they saw i was i was doing it i'm not some skeezy business guy trying to sell them on something I, i'm out here doing it. i told them it's, it's impossible to monetize by yourself essentially unless like you want to be full-time calling for your podcast that's Although not that valuable so it's we have a good value prop to work with these influencers for sure i think like our best ones like jack we throw resources and tools to, to help them to help them grow
0: mm-hmm. and then i guess what other so most of the most of the podcasts you guys had as you said like your 49ers one um you know you have you know snapback Smorts, which is kind of like that like new show like little debatey but not like you know annoying debatey uh they, they have good content they have good information what other areas i know you already talked about the documentary stuff too but are there any other areas you guys are like looking to get into in terms of what types of podcasts and how the show like micro content like something that comes out or you know anything along those lines
1: oh yeah so i mean entertainment is is definitely next micro content too but just you know with with sports probably being on pause potentially the whole year let's hope not but um, Tiger King is a good example of a what I think is comparable to sports. It's a cultural phenomenon that people are entertained by and kind of want to talk about afterwards. Uh to built this podcast, they built a Tiger King one, so we're looking at a Netflix streaming podcast where we can talk about the latest and greatest there with, mm-hmm. with some entertainment, personalities, some comedians. But we we see that as our next venture is is getting into comedy and like hopefully sports adjacent, but also just, you know, we want to build shows about friends and Frasier and lost the classic ones, taking what rewatchables has done at ringer and kind of go even further. How do we, how do we build with comedians and people who are super smart and want to go and review all these episodes and, to, uh, you know, talk to some of the former castmates. So like TV right now is kind of undercovered and streaming in the podcast space. So we want to be first movers there.
0: That's pretty cool. Yeah. I was just listening to the office one the other day. Um, the to of the girls from the office Jenna Fisher and um, oh yeah yeah Angela Kinsley is kind of funny it's nice because I love the office so it's kind of cool hearing the behind the scenes stuff about it
1: yeah you know further it's it's probably more the Tiger King's the new stuff that comes out yeah. that has like um you know what what people are going to continue to come back for uh, at a certain point how many Michael Scott jokes can you tell but I mean you know podcasting to me will be like YouTube man. It, it, it's endless. Like, we're, there's going to be one day a channel for, like, how to, like, tie your shoes, how to do all this stuff. And so, to me, it, audio is just in its, in its beginning stages, and we hope to scale Blue Wire along with the media.
0: I do love it. And I know, I mean, I think yesterday or the day before I saw, there was one million confirmed active podcasts. Um, that number just continues to go up. Everyone's in quarantine. They're kind of bored. Uh, thankfully I started this one at the beginning of the year, so I'm not totally riding that bandwagon, but, uh, what, I mean, how, as you said, it's only in, it's, it's in its beginning stages. How much bigger does it get before it starts to really just be completely diluted?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a million podcasts. Most of them are trash. Yes, like most, uh, nine hundred fifty thousand, probably more, maybe nine hundred ninety thousand. Um, so it's sad to say that, but you know, Blue Wire exists on the sports side to to sort through that trash and verify. Like these, if you're a Vikings fan, you should listen to this. Um, so I think it's it's good that the numbers are growing. I, I just point back to YouTube. They used to say that it was oversaturated, way too many videos. There's no way that it can continue to grow. It's it's on an exponential growth rate because content keeps getting better people keep coming up with new ideas The channels they're coming up with a thing called shorts now where they're going to do more short form content so I don't see content creators sucking I, I'm going to bet on content creators they're going to continue to find ways to, to do this and I, I agree that you know some investors are going to be turned off by oversaturation but some like the ones who bet on us see that you know we the cream rises to the top and that look at video look how much it's already being done like audio is barely being touched right now and there's a lot more to do like the, the podcast is just two guys talking right now that's there's not enough editing that has gone into audio yet for you yeah, I think I think that what the word podcast will change. I also see Netflix getting into the game. I see Hulu getting into the game in a couple of years potentially bundling video and audio together and these players like you know charging 20 bucks a month now and you get our exclusive podcast. Apple will not be the only player. Spotify woke everyone up that, hey, this, there's, there's huge potential here. Mm-hmm.
0: And then, you know, with Barstool kind of essentially starting, or at least most of their revenue, I think over 35% of their revenue comes from podcasts. That's obviously a good thing. We just saw their value at $450 million when it comes in terms of influencers and personalities. Do you see blue wire moving and expanding past just audio when you know especially if some of these people are like hey man I want to create video you know some of these influencers and on social media and create content such as articles do you see it at some point getting past that third wheel of all right let's let's kind of become a little bit more of a media company than just a podcast platform
1: oh uh, it just depends man it's going to depend on our product market fit because we we just all um, Gimlet get acquired for $250 million by Spotify as a purely audio play. We've seen Intercom acquire Pineapple Street Media for $30 million, and um, Cadence 13 also got acquired, I believe, for $40 million. So, you know, pure audio plays are proving to still be valuable. However, I do see your point of becoming a media company and adding video. For us, we'd love to turn one of our original stories on Alan Iverson into video. Like we'd, we'd love to like make a hit podcast on that side and then, you know, go to Amazon, go to Hulu and say, You want to team up on this? You know, we, we've proven we have an audience for the story we just told. So I see us getting into video. I don't see us becoming video providers. I mm-hmm. see us kind of like uh, using it to amplify blue water.
0: Of course. And uh, man, I'm crossing my fingers that you get acquired for 180 or 250 million dollars i think that would be
1: awesome. That, i mean that's what we are thinking, but so was like getting a seed round 18 months ago. Yeah exactly right like man. That seemed impossible so you know people who listen to this and who are motivated like don't don't let anyone laugh at you because there's there's no especially when you're if you're starting a company there's no such thing as, as being too small um you know for me i ran into media where i felt like there was a ceiling on me and i i feel like there's no ceiling for blue wire right now i feel like if you start your own company and get a speed round there's 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 no ceiling you can you can build a rocket ship
0: sky's the limit brother awesome kevin jones ceo founder of blue wire sports podcasting appreciate your time today man
1: i appreciate man i i rambled a lot i hope people got a lot out of this but hit me up anytime you need me
0: You're perfect. Thanks so much. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Kevin Jones. As I said, absolutely so cool what he's capable of putting together and how he's been able to do it. And Congrats on that seed round, man. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So make sure to follow Kevin and Blue Wire on all of their socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please also make sure to give us a five star review wherever the heck you're listening to us, especially if it's on iTunes or Apple. That is super, super helpful. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. It's the only thing we don't get more of. So thank you for giving me some of yours and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.